Good morning, it's your Friday night DM, Shay Cormack speaking. Welcome to a lovely Sunday morning here in New Zealand in uh, Wellington, the windy city. It is a bit breezy, so forgive me if there's a little bit of wind noise um, picked up on the mic. Uh, but welcome to my morning and uh, welcome to this episode where I want to continue to talk about uh, West Marches open table style play in 5th edition and in particular um, using Rhyme of the Frostmaiden as a, as a basis for a West March Marches campaign and some of the changes or additions we'll need to make to make it more usable uh, for this style of play. Now as I mentioned in the last episode and uh, please I do welcome any commentary or questions um, to come in my way so I can answer those questions or uh, elaborate in more depth uh, on any topic so please don't hesitate to do that but in the last episode um, I talked about the three things um, that you really need to have a West Marches open table game now all of this has come from reading um, The Alexandrian which is an amazing blog on a whole lot of different topics um, but his treatise on open table play and West Marches play uh, form really the basis of uh, my intellectual preparation uh, for these types of play. Also another shout out to Hobbs, Jason Hobbs uh, and his podcasts uh, Hex Talk most importantly, uh, the most important and seminal podcast on um, creating hex crawls and uh, West Marches type play. So uh, please check out Jason Hobbs. He also has two other podcasts, Random Screed and Hobbs and Friends. So uh, the three things that we really need uh, for open table West Marches is we need a starting and ending location. So a safe place to start and end every session of, uh, of the campaign. We need some kind of reason why a variety of players or characters would go out each week um, into the wilderness to have an adventure and why from week to week that that group or roster of characters would change and we need a default action so I just want to talk about uh, all of them I guess we'll see how far we get first of all um, as I said I decided to purchase Rhyme of the Frostmaiden um, which is an official D&D product uh, because when I looked at some of the reviews I realised that it was quite a sandbox um, type adventure at least at the, for the first part of the adventure and so I thought I could easily change that and use that uh, for my purposes. Now as I said we need a start and ending position. The beginning of uh, the Rhyme of the Frostmaiden starts in a region uh, known as the Ten Towns which is part of Icewind Dale, that's the name of the greater region, Icewind Dale, which is north of the spine of the world. And there's 10 towns that are clustered around three lakes. And the 10 towns are clustered together quite quick, quite closely. Most of them are within half a day <coughs> to a day's travel from one another. Um, so they're, they're closely connected. And in each one of these villages or towns, um, some might be as big as big enough to call a city, um, there are adventure hooks and uh, opportunities to get into mischief. Normally in a West Marches you would have one single 
safe starting and ending place. So in my previous campaign, we started off with a very nondescript uh, town. We called it Homestead, I think. Um, and the, the party would adventure out from Homestead and return there at the end of the session. That's important so that when the next session starts, everyone can leave from that same place. And so, so if some, char some characters don't return the following week to play, their characters are safe in the town um, and, and there's a good reason why, why they're not there. They might just be too busy at the pub or in, in some kind of uh, business affairs, so they can't go out uh, for the adventure this week. Now, traditionally in a West Marches open table game, the safe starting position or town that you have wouldn't really be a place for adventure. Um, you know, you want your players to get out of the safety of the town and out into the wilderness to find adventure. So it can be a tricky um, line to, um, to follow. In this case, because Rhyme of the Frost Maiden does have um, content within the towns to pursue, I'm, I'm allowing that. And so we're going to have adventures and intrigues and lots of NPC um, interaction actually within the towns. But I'm going to make each, all the towns are a safe place. So the party will start each week from a town um, and they just have to end the game in a town. Because all the towns are reasonably safe and because all the towns are connected uh, via tracks and trails and paths um, and quite closely connected, I thought to myself effectively getting to one town is effectively like getting safely to all the towns. Um, and in the Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, there's not much danger to be encountered in the travel between the towns. Later in the book, um, as you venture further afield from the towns, um, there are more random encounters and uh, more uh, dangers uh, that, that are associated with the wilderness that might occur. But once you're in the towns and traveling between the towns, you're, you're relatively safe. So that's, that's what I decided to do, was that we're going to start at any one town, you can return to any one town. Um, and one of the other little things you, you sometimes have um, is, say for example you're playing a session, everyone leaves the town, they go out and have an adventure, and you know, you're scheduled to finish your game at 11pm in the evening. At about 10.30 you realise that um, the players are still in a dungeon somewhere. There's not much time really for them to get out of the dungeon and return um, to the safe starting place um, with normal play. Sometimes what we use is um, a table to roll on at that point. So, you know, maybe it's t you might warn everyone at 10.30, say, look, if you guys start heading out of the dungeon right now and heading back to town, you should be able to get there in time. We can role play it. Otherwise, we're going to be in a situation we're going to roll on the escape from the wilderness or escape from the dungeon table. Um, sometimes I call it the uh, return to town table because it kind of encapsulates either having to flee a dungeon or flee the wilderness or both. And uh, the players would each roll on this table. Um, you as the DM would determine the difficulty or the likelihood of uh, some mishap befalling the players as they return. Everyone would roll on the table and if they're all lucky they'll get back to town um, safely or just missing some some of their resources or you know there might be the odd person who rolls very badly and maybe 
they die or they're captured or some other mishap befalls them but anyway we've got a mechanic um, waiting for us and set up for us so that we can get the players back to town um, by the end of the session so that we can stay within the structure of this open table West Marchers play. In Rhyme of the Frostmaiden the travel between the towns and the travel mechanics for um, just moving short distances away from the towns are very simple and very quick and easy so um, I didn't bother um, developing my return to town table yet um, I think I will as we move further into the adventure uh, because at the moment it's very easy there's, there's not really any even a real requirement for them to make navigation checks or survival checks or anything like that for the travel around the towns and some of the adventure um, locales that are near, near the towns so getting everyone back to town can be quite a quick um, exercise even when you're role playing it so I think we might have covered most of the important stuff about um, safe starting and ending locations. I would say I am hoping that my characters will be, grow to have an affinity with one particular town, uh, maybe one that they'll adopt as their home base, possibly a place where they might um, purchase a building or construct a building and have like a, a lair or a um, home base uh, where they have their armory and you know their a vault for their treasures, things like that, somewhere where they can really put down roots and at that point we may make that particular town their safe starting and ending position or we may remain with the idea that if you get to any town you're effectively safe enough and the travel between towns is safe enough that you can, once you've got to one town, you may as well be at any town. Another note, um, as I said earlier about uh, towns being a place that are not full of adventure. <clears throat> Our goal is to have the players leave the towns and go out and adventure but as I said with Rhyme of the Frostmaiden there are um, opportunities for play within the towns. I am going to use that content and currently my players are embroiled in a situation in one of the towns where it looks like one of the party members might stand to be town speaker or effectively a mayor of the town. Now this is going to be really interesting. I don't know how it's going to play out. If he does, if this player does succeed in becoming the mayor, um, I don't know how it's going to affect the dynamic of what type of adventures they're going to pursue. Um, hopefully it doesn't just uh, devolve into basically them playing SimCity and not really bothering to go out much uh, into the wilderness. I'm sure we might have a little bit of play that revolves around what's going on in town and uh, then you know maybe rules and laws and intrigues that are going on um, business deals going on but hopefully the players are still motivated by uh, greed <laughs> and uh, wanderlust and they'll go out into the wilderness uh, to smash monsters and steal loot because I think even if they do start up some business ventures the chances are you know the income from that will be pale in comparison to what you can get from going out and finding a decent monster's lair and uh, killing it to get all its treasure so so it'll be interesting to see how that goes so there we have us a safe starting and ending position really important uh, secondly um, we need a reason why the group like there might be a loose 
association of characters um, that go out in different um, combinations from week to week. Now there's lots of different ways you can do this. Um, in this particular situation I thought we might, we might go with some kind of mercenary guild idea where there's a, a mercenary group uh, with quite a few members to it. Um, it's always taking on new members and uh, from week to week groups of those or, or different groups of those uh, characters would go out uh, for adventure, go out for uh, to uh, achieve bounties or missions that the guild has been uh, assigning to them, you know, and it doesn't have to be the same group of hero heroes and uh, characters every week, so they that's a good reason why they can be changing. And that's an easy one, you know, pretty much you could do that for almost every West March's open table game, something along that theme. You know, you want to be thinking about, say, Star Wars, no, Star Trek, where you've got a ship full of um, people, and every week there's a new adventure opportunity, and a different way team, away team goes. You know, and pretty often the captain and Spock go, but there's always different ensigns, or, you know, sometimes they think they're going to need an engineer, so they bring an engineer. There's a different group of people go out from the ship and get teleported down to the surface of the planet uh, for an adventure every week. So that, that's the kind of idea you want to go for. You've got a large group of possible uh, adventurers and for whatever variety of reasons, some of them go out to adventure each week and some don't. Um, I put forward to my players a few options and a few I, I knew what they might uh, lean towards. And so I presented to them the option of having um, a somewhat complicated band of heroes, uh, motivated more by uh, greed and fame than by natural valor or um, heroic nature. I was aware that a few of them had been watching um, some kind of TV series, which I haven't seen myself, called The Boys, which I think is about superheroes who are not actually uh, goodly heroes but they perform the role of heroes uh, for a multitude of different reasons. So I really wanted to avoid having evil characters. I hate D&D play that has arsehole characters, people that are backstabbing one another and ruining play for, for the others. So I really made it clear to everyone, you know, it's going to be really fun if we have complicated characters um, who are not perfect um, and are motivated to do the right thing by different reasons but we still want to be doing the right thing you know we want to save people we want to do heroic acts we want to do it in a strange and interesting way where sometimes we're maybe more interested in saving the gold than the princess um, or if we are interested in saving the princess it's more because we'd like to deflower her or um, you know or just get the kudos of the king and get more power in the region you know whatever you know, an anti-hero might want to do, um, but we definitely don't want to get into a situation where people are ruining play um, for one another. So I really want to avoid that. Wow, sorry for that interruption. Uh, as I was just finishing my thoughts about uh, team composition or a reason why to have a team, two girls rode past me on a bicycle, one sitting on the handlebars, and next moment um, they crashed into the in the middle of the street and luckily neither of them's badly injured but I think one of them 
uh, one girl maybe a seriously sprained wrist but I had to go and rescue them um, but they seem okay now so I think I can't remember if I completed my thoughts about um, the team dynamic as I was just saying I'm really concerned that we don't get into a situation where people are being assholes to one another and ruining the game for one another but I do love the idea that we've got these kind of mischievous characters who are sometimes not going to do the the right thing for the right reason hopefully they'll do the right thing for the wrong reasons um, which means we're going to have a lot of fun and can be a little bit more interesting than just having you know a whole lot of characters that are just uh, lawful good it will be really fun if someone decides to play a lawful good character who they're a straight up good guy um, amidst a group of other heroes who are a little bit more uh, grey a little bit more in the grey area um, of their alignment and we have discovered in the first few sessions that there is one character in the party who um, I would descri describe their their alignment as bastard and uh, luckily you know he's been a bastard to the townsfolk um, and other NPCs but he hasn't been horrible uh, to the other players which is that's the really important thing although I did have to warn stop play the other week and warn everybody um, when he did antagonize some NPCs, I uh, just had to warn everyone, okay, we're not going to kill the NPCs or the townsfolk because that will really ruin the whole, the whole campaign because, because tensions were rising. So uh, just be wary of that type of, of motivation. Anyway, we've got a, a reason why we've got a large roster of heroes, um, some of which participate in each adventure. And... Uh, the last thing we need is a default action. So in um, the Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, the, the default action to find out um, about a new adventure is to go to the next town and have a chat to the locals, at which point they're probably going to tell you about whatever uh, horrible thing is befalling the townsfolk in that area and what they could really use help with. You could also go to the tavern um, in some some of these locations are a decent sized heaven where you might not only hear um, some adventure hook about what's happening in this particular town but you might hear of um, some of the some of the problems that are besetting um, other towns in the area and the other thing they've done in Rhyme of the Frost Maiden is once you've reached a certain level I think once you're at like level three or four when you're getting rumors at pubs um, you start rolling on a rumor table uh, that's for higher level play and that's got the adventure hooks that are going to lead the players uh, further away from town um, and get them into more dangerous situations where the travel's more dangerous and precarious where the um, the monsters and the um, challenges are going to face are higher and so but it's st there, it still remains the same the default action is go to the next town slash pub and uh, you know look out for rumors and um, adventure hooks so we've got that default action I'm really hoping to there's so much content in Rhyme of the Frost Maiden there's lots and lots of it I've barely read or scratched even the surface of reading through it um, but I'd like to use a lot of it I've paid for it um, I'd like to use a lot of it now in the um, the way you're supposed to play it as, a, as the adventure that they propose 
is that players might do three or four adventures um, amongst the towns, get up to level three or four, and uh, then start getting uh, adventure hooks for some of the more uh, dangerous adventures out into the wilderness. I'm kind of hoping we're going to use up a lot more of the lower level adventures amongst the towns. Um, and one way I'm hoping to do that is by, if I'm really lucky, killing off some characters so that instead of them just gaining levels quickly and being ready for the higher challenges and getting, you know, in the lower challenge level um, adventures that are amongst the town being just too easy for them. If I can kill off characters from time to time, uh, that means that the party's competition is going to be a little bit weaker. So it's going to make some of those lower level challenge, um, challenge rating adventures near the towns a little bit more interesting, a little bit more challenging, and it's going to draw out the process. The other thing I'm doing is I'm making level progression um, a lot slower um, than maybe what the book would um, ask you to do so that we get more play at each level. So we get more play out of the entire book and uh, it seems to be going um, pretty well um, as it is. Just a couple little notes, if you are going to follow this uh, this idea of using Rhyme of the Frostmaiden as a um, West Marches uh, open table, you know, it's the same old gripes about 5e. Level 1 characters are extremely squishy, but almost by the point they get to level 2, they become quite difficult to kill. Anything higher than that, you know, you're really you're not aiming to kill your characters in any normal way. Um, it's just getting, it's getting pretty unlikely, unless they have some really bad rolls that they're gonna die. So just, just take that into note. So, you know, a lot, a lot of times in kind of more old school play of open table west marches, characters are squishy, um, you know, all through the first, I've never played in them, but I know, you know, three, four, five, fifth level characters are still really easy to kill. Um, and so people die all the time. Uh, which means you're always getting those low-level characters who find even the more, most simple and, and hopefully more interesting encounters challenging. Because we don't necessarily want to make everything difficult, but at least interesting and challenging um, is, is the goal. So anyway, there's lots to think about and lots to do. I am going to start um, putting up the tables and things that I've been using. Uh, and the content that I've been creating to go alongside of um, of Rome of the Frost Maiden onto a drive that I can share out to you guys. So I think I might make that the next episode where I talk to you about some of the carousing tables um, and other tables and content that I've been creating because that's been really fun for me and I hope it's going to be fun for you. So please don't hesitate to send any comments um, and additions of things that we should be talking about for Open Table West Marches. I'm sure I've missed some points so people can fill in the gaps uh, with their call-ins. I'll publish them alongside um, my commentary as well, but please don't hesitate to call in. Thanks guys, bye. Good morning everybody. It's your Friday night DM Shay Cormack speaking and it's a lovely sunny Saturday morning. It's the morning after the night before and uh, the night before we played D&D and we had a great fun uh, game and we had a couple of new players one who had never played D&D before uh, who threw themselves into the role of being a bloodthirsty barbarian I did have to warn them off uh, murdering townsfolk for their money but uh, other than that he did very well and uh, we also had a, another player join us 
who hadn't played in decades and uh, think he really enjoyed returning to the hobby and it looks like he's going to be back on a regular basis. So great game last night and uh, just put me in mind of uh, the podcast and talking about a couple of topics um, that, I, that I'm thinking about at the moment. Just to finish off um, some of the um, required point things uh, for a West March's open table game. Um, I went back and reviewed uh, the literature from um, the Alexandrian. So again, really worth anyone interested in this topic to go to the Alexandrian blog and look up the Open Table Manifesto. And I was just looking at that to double check if I had missed anything. And there was a couple of points that I have missed, but I don't find them to be particularly important. Um, so, but I'll just run over those really quickly. Firstly, quick character generation. So if you're having an open table and you, part of an open table is trying to encourage new people to come and play, come and try out the game without any commitment of preparation or understanding the rules or coming back for a second turn. Um, There's just very little commitment at all in terms of time. It's just turn up, play the game. And so we had that situation last night. We had two new people. Um, one of them was never ever played before and when he arrived um, I just fished around in my drawer of pre-generated characters and uh, got him a pre-made barbarian character that I'd made a while ago. Um, I'm actually quite a big fan of using the pre-generated characters uh, that Wizards of the Coast have available um, on their website. So I've got all of those characters, there must be about there's quite a few, there's over 10 different uh, pre-generated pre characters they have and each character it has a character sheet um, for levels 1 through 10, I've got it, something like that and I've got, I've got them all printed out um, at least to level 3 or 4. So if you want to play a dwarf paladin um, or, or a human barbarian, I've got the pre-generated characters from level 1 through 4 for that um, for that class and, and race combination ready to go. So that's a great solution that 5th edition offers. You can have pre-generated character sheets waiting for people to use if they turn up or maybe if they die halfway through a session and they want to get started again real quickly you can just pull out a pre-made um, character sheet. I often uh, encourage all my players to have a backup character already built so that if they do die partway through a session they've got a new character of their own creation waiting for them to play. The other um, new player we had last night who hadn't played for decades, um, I knew he was quite technically uh, capable and able to use a computer um, and so I directed him to the D&D Beyond website where you can make a character with very little understanding of the process just by following along um, the step-by-step -step process um, on the website and he had no trouble at all creating his character and uh, even on D&D Beyond they have the option of pushing a button and it will just randomly generate you a level one character of uh, the race and class um, that you specify. So all you have to choose is your race and your class, maybe you even choose your gender, I can't remember, but basically you just push a button and it's done for you. So character creation in D&D couldn't really be easier. Um, and quicker and even really doing it by pen and paper 
with the player's handbook. If you're familiar with the player's handbook, you can make a first level character very, very quickly. I would say in less than 10 minutes, especially if it's um, not going to be heavy spell casting. Or if you're uh, aware of what's going on with spellcasters, then um, then it's not that long anyway because a level one spellcaster is only going to have, you know, pick three cantrips and a spell. So it's not too onerous to create characters in fifth edition. So that's just one of the points that uh, the Alexandrian brings up. There's another point that they um, go into a default goal. Now in last week's uh, or last episode that I had. I talked about the default action, but not a default goal. Now, I do like the idea of having a default goal, but it's not really that necessary, I don't think, because most people that are playing D&D have got this default goal, be a murder hobo. You know, who knows what the percentages must be, something like 90% of people who play D&D um, want to kill monsters, steal all their, all their gold and their treasure, and get amazing magic items and go up in levels. That's the default goal of most people who want to play D&D. You don't have to tell them to do that. They just, they naturally do that. That's what you do. If you're reading a fantasy book or watching a fantasy novel, you know, the characters go out and get into adventures. They don't really want to sit around knitting beside the fire. That's not what they're here to do. So you don't really have to have an overt um, default goal but it is a good idea to have something along that lines. In the Rime of the Frostmaiden, we do have one default goal. There is an unending winter, and rumor has it that um, the goddess of winter is the source of this unending winter. It would be very nice if the unending winter finished. So there's kind of like a background default goal of try and get powerful enough and figure out where Oriel is or how you might confront her to finish the winter. So we've got like some kind of overarching um, default goal but in general uh, the characters want to just get loot level up and grow more powerful I labored on the um, topic of character progression and uh, leveling up in my last um, episode uh, because I find it so important for D&D uh, to stay in the low to mid levels um, to really get the most out of the game I think um, you quickly run out of interesting no, you don't quickly run out of interesting uh, monsters to throw against people, but I think there's so much in fantasy, especially literature, where it's the simple monsters. Like in, say, Lord of the Rings, you know, you fight for the most of the time just lots of orcs, you know, and some goblins. There's not this, this whole menagerie of different monsters that you're fighting to, to have a variety of different level co um, combat rated creatures for you to face. Um, and so that, I just think there's so much to be mined in D&D and in fantasy role-playing games just with the simple low-level monsters that you can um, encounter but in interesting um, combinations or situations that make them uh, challenging. Um, so I, I'm going with a slower level progression and that's part of my default, default goal. A lot of people want to increase the level of their character. They want to grow more powerful. And uh, so at the moment, um, I'm borrowing a little bit of the leveling progression uh, idea from um, the Wizards of the Coast, um, I've just forgotten the name of it, the organized play. And basically an organized play in, in uh, Wizards of the Coast, for every session you play, you level up. Once you get to level four, I think 
for every two sessions you play, you level up. So at the moment, I've started with my characters because I want to slow it down. If you play two, two sessions as level one character, you progress to level two. If you play four sessions as a level two character, you'll progress to level three. And I'll probably do something similar. Another four sessions at level three to get to level four. And then we might slow it down even further. Um, and just see how, see how that fits um, with the content that we have and the adventures that we have to play. But the meat of today's episode, the main topic I want to talk about is doing reboots or change of points of view. Now I've spoken about this um, in episodes further back in my back catalogue but I want to talk about it again because it's a it's a lot of fun and so the idea is if the characters are getting too powerful uh, and they're kind of outmatching a lot of the challenges that are available to them in the area they're in you can get them to start as completely new characters by completely changing the team format and so even though this is a bit of a spoiler for my players I was thinking about it a little bit this morning and I thought you know a great reboot could be a Den of Thieves reboot where I get everyone at some point to make completely new characters they all have to be part members of uh, the Guild of Thieves or the Thieves Guild or maybe we'll call it the Den of Thieves um, and so you all have to probably be even either a rogue um, or maybe you could get away with being a bard if you have the charlatan uh, background and possibly even the option of maybe being a cleric if you take uh, the trickster god as your tr as your um as your whatever subclass so we can do this interesting reboot where everyone starts again at level one so we can mine some of the um, additional um, low-level um, adventures and uh, challenges that are scattered around the map that maybe some of the players are just too powerful for now but we don't want to waste all that w wonderful content um, maybe we can restart this den of thieves in um, a city that they haven't really explored or an area that they haven't really explored much yet and we can just throw a different spin on the motivation so I was thinking along the lines of so the, the Guild of Thieves have realized that you know if this winter keeps going on it's really bad for business and what's bad for business is bad for the thieves business because there's less to steal there's left to, less to intimidate and extort um, if local businesses are failing so they're highly motivated to deal with the goddess of winter in this unending winter so that business can flourish in the ten towns and there'll be more pickings uh, for the thieves guild so we can have a motivation for why they want to help um, the situation but they're all thieves we get some interesting dynamics where um, people are going to want to make varied versions of a rogue you know so people um, are going to try different subclasses so they get a bit of a variety amongst the party because if everyone just goes as to be a you know a dexterous um, rogue with a crossbow well they're going to have some severe limitations to the team so some people are going to want to not necessarily use their best stat on dexterity um, and so that makes some really interesting uh, character builds it also does mean there probably will be some kind of weakness to the team um, like the chances are there's not going to be that many characters that are going to put much of a, a focus on strength 
um, so that if I put some challenges in front of them, like you know, logs have fallen across the road and they've got to lift and shove them out of the way, well that might be a real difficult challenge for them. Um, I remember when I did a reboot in my previous hex crawl, we called them the Holy Rollers and everyone had to be a monk, a cleric or a paladin. Well it turns out that no one really um, no one really focused on perception very much. So most of the characters um, weren't very good at spotting traps. And in one particular instance, they went into a trap, trap heavy dungeon, and they were, you know, some of the characters who were liking to go to the front of the party were forever falling into traps or setting off traps. And, you know, they would struggle to pick open doors or, or um, you know, open locks on chests because no one had these tools. There were no, th no thieves in the party. So you can get some really interesting dynamics uh, when you use this idea of rebooting the whole team. You also, because you've got this new motivation for why the group are together and why they're adventuring and their ultimate goal, you get to mine the setting and see what starts to really resonate with the players. I found that, uh, you know, if you do this three or four times uh, through the adventure, you'll find that the players seem to really resonate with one one team more than, than, or one idea or theme more than they have the others. And you know that's where you can really focus in um, and mine out those themes. Uh, you know, so for example, the Holy Rollers, you know, you've got some religious themes and if people are really picking up on that, you can throw your weight against that, that theme of religiousness and um, just start putting more of that into the game. And I know, especially when my players played as the misfits who were teenage goblins um, roaming the countryside and getting up to mischief they really loved that so we just put in more and more um, gray area type challenges where there were different ways of approaching things that weren't necessarily uh, the, the lawful good way of dealing with things you know you had anti-heroes like um, crime bosses who were both extremely evil but also helpful and useful um, and easy to get along with so you can do so much stuff uh, with an open table and uh, there's just no limit to it so I'm looking forward to thinking about some of the other reboots that we can do within the setting I'm very keen to do the Den of Thieves um, because I I haven't done one where I've forced everyone basically to all be rogues um, but I'm also going to think about what other reboots I can do that will get some interesting team dynamics um, when I start to limit either so this is what I like to play with doing a reboot, is I, I'll think about limiting the race choices or limiting the class choices or putting some other limits uh, on the characters, some constraints on them uh, so that the players have to be really um, ingenious in their character creation and they all get to explore things they normally wouldn't because there's a lot of people who will always play a spellcaster or always like to play a rogue or a or a ranger. They want to have ranged attacks and they want to be dex based. Well when you put the um, the restraint on them that oh you're not even allowed to be a ranger or a or a rogue, you have to be a paladin or a monk, that forces them to try something they haven't tried before and they might find they they really enjoy it. I just want to mention that's another great thing about um, killing characters off. You know, it's not the end of the world if your character dies because you get to create a whole new character and explore a new character uh, with a new personality and different motivations um, and that can be a lot of fun as well. So I hope that's a little bit more food for, you, food for thought um, for you all 
thank you so much for uh, continuing to listen and uh, please don't hesitate to send in any queries or comments i love to get your feedback thanks guys see ya i want to quickly add two addendums firstly i'm probably not going to do the den of thieves idea after i re-listened to this episode i realized mm, i have actually done quite a bit of themes where the characters of, of dubious nature i would like to force everyone to be rogues but i might rethink that and uh, pick some other theme to pursue um, maybe something a little bit more righteous in nature and uh, secondly i wanted to talk about that default action i realized when i was talking about the leveling up system the way i'm doing leveling up is not based on how much loot how much um, gold or how much experience you gain from killing monsters but it's based on how much you play so in old school DD, you would get your experience based on how much treasure you gained and and that's how you would level up so you're motivated to go out and explore this countryside to find treasure sometimes it's guarded by monsters which you might kill or trick or sneak past the goal was to get the treasure so you could level up in later editions of DD, like fifth edition you get experience points for killing monsters and so the motivation is kill monsters so you can level up but if we play it based on the number of sessions you play we're making it's like a meta default action the default action is not kill monsters or steal loot or do anything adventurous the goal is turn up and play the game that's how you level up your character and i really love thinking about it like that and i'm going to keep thinking about it in those terms because that's what i want to promote i want my friends to come to my house sit at the table with me play DD and have fun and so if i can base the leveling up system and the default goal is to come and play DD with me all the better so keep playing DD with your friends and having fun see you later